Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Fortales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Fortales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. She's the president and CEO of Native Foods. And if you are not familiar with Native Foods yet, you're about to get very familiar. It's an interesting concept, and we're going to dive into that and so much more on today's episode. Before we do, Karen, say hello and give a little bit of backstory. Hey, Joseph. It's fun to spend a little time together. And thanks for the opportunity to talk about Native Foods, about the industry. Uh, Native Foods, we always say we're kind of the OG of vegan restaurants, right? We we started back in 1994, long before anybody was really thinking about plant-based uh, food. So the brand has really stood the test of time. We have 12 locations. We're in three states. We're in California, Colorado, and Illinois. And uh, it's just, the boy, what a time to be in plant-based dining right now. You know, any kind of trend that you look you know, at it, what's going on in the industry, top trends, top ideas, Plant-based, is, if it's not number one, it's usually number two. So uh, we're having a lot of fun in this cute little innovative brand. I love it. So speaking about you first a little bit here, um, you this isn't your first rodeo. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not very convinced that one rodeo would be enough to make you a pro anyway. <laughs> um, but you've held a number of leadership positions. You've been at the helm of Red Robin, Applebee's, Wendy's. How, how do you make the transition from brands of that size mm-hmm. to a brand that is scrappy, growing, and the size, I think you said 12, um, and then how do you make the shift from brands that are selling uh, an omni- omnivorous offering um, basically over to a plant-based only offering? How's that shift look? Yeah. Two, I mean, two great questions there. So first of all, uh, let's just ta- tackle the size question. Look, the, the one big thing working for the big brands, you have resources. <laughs> all right. I mean, I have, I have a lot of go-to people. And with Applebee's, I was... Uh, uh, basically chief operating officer for almost 2,000 locations. So tons of resources, tons of, uh, of marketing and media muscle. So you really can get out there and tell your story. I miss that. I have to be honest with you. And I think that's one of the things I really enjoy about being on boards as well is with some of the bigger brands like that, uh, we are able to share a lot of information. I'm very involved in the uh, Illinois and the National Restaurant Association. So we find other ways to, to do that. But leadership is leadership. So as far as that, you know, from a transition standpoint, um, you know, I think I've just, I've, I think what's helped me is I'm an operator first. Mm-hmm. I started out as an hourly team member, you know, working the, the window, we called it the lobby, you know, at McDonald's. Uh, before we even had dining room. So I'm kind of dating myself there a little bit. But, you know, it was super fun. I fell in love with the restaurant industry from day one. And so I've always uh, I've always stayed there. But if you look at my career, I would say the easiest way to look at it is I followed the growth. So I started out in quick service, right? Then all of a sudden, uh, the early 2000s, it was the prol- proliferation of casual dining. 
Well, Applebee's, we were opening 100 restaurants a year. And then this little thing called fast casual started to kind of work its way in where, you know, we're looking at that. What? People are going to get out of their cars and go in and order? <laughs> you think back at, uh, you know, the history of fast casual. Uh, you know, we left that little sweet spot where we always kind of look at back then QSR was $5 and under casual dining was $10 and over. And you had that little spot between five and $9 where fast casual worked its way in, but that became the growth sector. And so when I talk about plant-based, there's two things I would simply say. One is, um, I would talk about following the growth, right? Where is the growth and innovation right now in the industry? There's so much going on with plant-based. It is so fun uh, to try all the new products and try a lot of the different things. But otherwise, I would say I've kind of come full circle. Uh, my degree from Western Illinois University, uh, my undergraduate was in food and nutrition. And my final food science project was back then, there's a, I don't know if you're familiar with Cincinnati, but there's a, 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 a traditional dish back there called Geta. Have you heard of that? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a meat extender, an old German depression dish. And instead of you normally make it with uh, with like hot sausage and ground beef, I made it with what back then we called TVP, which is soy texture, vegetable protein. So even back 40 some odd years ago, I was already wow. thinking about, you know, plant-based substitutions. I've never really been that big of a meat eater. I love sides. <laughs> so, yeah. Super good. The the plant-based uh, stuff is really interesting, um, obviously, for every, everything. So I feel like every year it's a trend. Or um, And I know that the plant-based industry, as far as sourcing, has, has been troubled a little bit lately, at least with some of the leaders. Um, what, what are your outlooks there? How do we overcome the issue where I believe it was Beyond Foods really wasn't able to supply young brands with the orders that they needed and the quality that they were looking for, especially with those chicken nuggets or they looked like erasers. Um, <laughs> very good. Um, you know, being in your position, how do you think we can influence better growth there? And what do you think is contributing to those uh, supply chain issues? Well, look, I, I think uh, we'd be naive to think that it's only happening in the plant-based sector. Uh, every every uh, organization out there, whether it's uh, plant-based or meat-based, uh, everybody's struggling with supply chain right now. And I think the you know their uh, the dis uh, distribution companies are struggling with some of the same staffing challenges as as many of us are. So uh, I don't think that we are we are alone there. One of the advantages I will say is because we are plant-based, we can make anything. It's not like I have to have an animal, right? Um, I, all, everything that we sell comes out of a garden. So I can make any of our products in-house. And, uh, and, and so that's one way we do answer. Uh, we can't answer that question. Our team members and, and most of our uh, restaurant, again, we've been around a long time is uh, scratch cooking. So, you know, our burgers, uh, you know, and like I said, any of the products that we have, we're certainly able to make. So that does make a big difference. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I also have been thinking about, too, is when we talk about the scratch made and we just talk about the very um, nature of creating these products at scale. Um, if we take a step back, many people don't quite realize this, but going way back in time, canning and processed foods and TV dinners, these things were innovative at the time. Mm -hmm. These things were answers to a call, uh, I believe at that time, from um, traditionally women being overwhelmed in the uh, kitchen and then having to juggle, like entering into the workforce and things like that. And so they were 
they were fantastic. We now know looking back that these things have created uh, health issues with uh, the overprocessed nature. So one of the things that I've been concerned with personally is, hey, this sounds great, but there seems to be a lot of processing happening here to make fake cheese, to make faux turkey, uh, tofurkey, and things like that. Um, you being more ingrained, can you shed some light as to, am I correct in that apprehension? Or is it, um, is it just a, a mirage? Like, is it actually very healthily made and things like that? Yeah, you know, I think uh, just like, like, uh, any food that you're going to buy anywhere, there's certainly items that are over-processed. I think you just have to draw a line in the sand of what you're going to sell within your brand. Uh, our chef uh, is Chris Berkey. He's out of St. Louis. He's been vegan, I want to say, 28 years. And the man can make anything. You say, I want to substitute for a burger, your favorite you know, Thanksgiving meal, he can put it together, and I swear you cannot tell the difference. He's, he's absolutely amazing. But he is a traditionalist to say, you know what, I don't want to use more than four or five ingredients, anything that you've heard of. And I think because we do a lot of scratch cooking and a lot of our things in-house, we don't need all of those different additives or things like that because all the, really, I, I think from, a, from the industry perspective, what, what those do is just give us longer shelf life, right? Doesn't really help with food quality. Uh, typically, it's it's really all about shelf life. So if you're making your own ingredients, you're making your own sauces and things like that, you really don't need those. But I think you're absolutely right in a lot of ways, Joseph. The first thing that I looked at coming on board was just sodium levels. And, uh, you know, look, I'll admit we're still a little bit high, but I think, you know, most, uh, most companies and most uh, you know, food, even that we eat at home, we have a tendency to, to oversalt. But the first thing I did was reduce sodium levels 25% in oh, wow. all of our, in all of our products. And honestly, they taste better. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So sometimes I think, you know, that we, we have to look at those. And then we went through like all of the lists, like, I think, you know, the, the Panera's Whole Foods, everybody will have their, you know, their do not use list or their no, no list or whatever they title it. And we looked at all of our ingredients to make sure that we don't have any of those either. So uh, Emily Drain, who runs our supply chain, when she sources, the first thing she has to look at are the ingredients to say, are, are these going to fit with what we're willing to offer our guests? Because we believe good, wholesome ingredients have to come first. That's great. Yeah. That, that's fantastic to know. I mean, I always uh, made fun. Some, some, uh, so I'm not vegan, but I had some friends who were, and I would see the stuff they're eating. I'm like, that is horrible for your body. <laughs> like, there's no way these words that you cannot pronounce are good. So it's good to hear that native foods approach is uh, a little more purist and idealist and um, that you are cognizant of some of those issues and challenges and that you're overcoming them. Um, one of the other issues and challenges that I see with a growing brand, any brand for that matter is growth. And what I, what I uh, warn some of our clients about here at Vigor is, yeah, you may be a Florida-based brand that has an opportunity to franchise in Utah. The question is, is that the right choice? So you guys are in, I think you said three or four states? Three. Three states. Um, what has led to selecting those locations and how has it been trying to um, manage uh, uniform operations and things like that across that footprint? You know, I, I, first of all, if anybody ever gets up as a leader of an organization and doesn't first give mad respect to their team members, uh, they're missing the point. Uh, our team members on the front line who believe in the brand and believe in the mission truly make it happen every day. As far as where we're located, look, a lot of trends typically start on the coast. 
right? New York, California, kind of East Coast, West Coast things. And, uh, you know, that's typically where you're going to see, you know, newer ingredients or trendier ingredients or, like I said, plant-based food. And so naturally, I think it was a, uh, the perfect place for a brand like ours to start. And then things start to move either towards major metropolitan areas and then ultimately out to the suburbs. So vegan uh, by nature, plant-based by nature, look, everybody isn't willing to come out and try it, although they should. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll try to convince you of that. But uh, and, and the way you look at it is um, you've got to have some uh, a good amount of density too. So you have enough guests uh, you know, and households that are willing to come in and try you to, to be able to have a successful brand. One of the big learnings of the pandemic though, and for a lot of us who are primarily urban brands, <laughs> you really wanted to have a more diverse portfolio, right? So uh, with this trend of, you know, working from home right now, it's been a little challenging for us because, you know, we uh, we pay rent for a pretty big daytime population that's no longer in the cities. Uh, they're coming back. I think I live downtown Chicago. That's where I'm talking to you from. But uh, we're about, they say on, you know, on the peak days, which is primarily Wednesday, uh and, uh, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are really our bigger days right now being in the industry. Uh, and uh, other than that, people are typically working from home. But about 45 percent of the workforce is back. That's great. That's good to understand um, the growth trajectory. I've seen a lot of brands fail out, specifically in a franchise model uh, where they just stretch themselves way too thin going after the dollar um, but the inner, you know, the urban areas do seem to be a strong driver. One thing that I think that I've been, um, notably, uh, ignorantly unexpected was that veganism is huge in the African-American community. And I'm wondering, are you seeing that at your locations as well, that it's a real good balance uh, of demographic? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And they're, they're great guests. We have a lot of fun with them. And I think what's interesting, they're just so willing to try new things. When I, you mentioned a lot of the other brands I worked for, whether it's McDonald's or Wendy's or, or Chili's or Applebee's, and the guests that we came, that would come in on a regular basis that we get to know, they get the same thing every time, right? I will tell you that vegans are mo, much more adventuresome and a willingness to try anything new on your menu. So, you know, typically if you did an LTO in a, in a normal brand, you'd say, oh, wow, we did three to 4%, you know? Oh, okay, great. Uh, you know, we can do 10 to 15, uh, right? Wow. People are willing to step up and try it. And they give you feedback as well. You know, oh, I gotta leave that one on the menu uh, is, is what we typically hear just because it's usually something new. How do you fight the menu creep? Because that's, I think that's one of the things that a lot of leaders have a, uh, on a smaller scale, have a tough time dealing with is when you launch an LTO that's wildly successful, how do you, um, keep it off the menu permanently. <laughs> well, sometimes it does come on. It does earn its way onto the menu. Uh, Sandra Toom, who's our, our director of marketing, she's very disciplined. So she has, whenever we have our, our meetings, we, we have a seasonal menu that we, we shift up about every quarter. And we usually put about eight new things on. But when eight new things come on, guess what? Eight things come off. And she is like, she's doing the math all the way through. So not only are we looking at uh, you know, the number of menu items, but we're also looking at the number of SKUs, right, that we're bringing in as well. So uh, we're trying to be very disciplined about it. But it's it's hard because, you know, in, in the different regions, whether it's California, uh, we would sell more tempeh out there, right? And mm -hmm. Chicago, typically people may not order a tempeh. Uh, so sometimes you get that regional play where GMs are saying, yeah, but my guests want this. And, 
you know, sometimes you say, okay, well, wait till it comes back next year. So I love <laughs> uh, it. I'd be disappointed. Yes. For those, for those that are uh, not familiar, Tempe is not uh, in Arizona. Um, I mean, it is, but in this case, could you explain what tempeh is to the people? Sure, sure. Uh, it's, it's another way of soy. It's a fermented soy, so to speak. And, uh, uh, you know, at first, even when I started eating vegan food, it really wasn't my favorite. You know, think about anything made with soy, to be clear. Uh, tofu probably be number one or tempeh would be, you know, the second type of a, of a protein substitute that people would use. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's quite good, but you know, I typically don't even always eat a lot of the, the, the meat substitutes. I really love more of the vegetables. Uh, so, you know, a, a cauliflower shawarma or po boy, uh, would be perfect for me as well. And how, how are you doing with, um, with sourcing across that footprint, uh, consistently. So I, I, I presume, I mean, since this is such a plant forward, uh, concept that the consistency of ingredients is, is top priority. Um, and I hate to throw shade at us foods or Cisco or one of the other big carriers, but a lot of times their, their, their quality of product is at a, um, I would say a high median, but median nonetheless, because it has to be sourced across the nation. Right. How are you doing with that? Well, again, we, we make a lot of our, our own items, our sauces. We can make sour cream. We can make vegan butter, right? We can make all of those type of things in-house. So, But, yeah, the quality of ingredients do matter. Uh, be, be, I think that's really the biggest challenge for our brand right now often is supply chain, simply because we have uh, 12 restaurants in three states. We're pretty spread out. We really don't sell enough to be a major player for one of these big distribution centers, right? So we rely a lot on like dot foods and we've got a lot of specialty orders as well. So they're terrific to work with, but we've seen, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of mergers and acquisitions, you know, one of the big players from vegan cheese, follow your heart was just bought out. And so all of a sudden you see a disruption in the supply chain there as well. So it, you know, it continues to happen. We, I will say, we have more requests from companies today uh, to bring product to us, to take a look at, to see if it's something we put on our menu. So getting the product uh, and seeing some great new ideas is never going to be our challenge. There are more new items from, you know, seafood and, you know, pea protein, fava bean protein, different types of things coming at us supply chain though how do we get them to the restaurant so being as small as we are we have to rely on on the manufacturer to say is you need to tell us how you can get it to our restaurants uh we just can't take that on yeah that makes a lot of sense that's great um the, the proteins i think are always a fun one along with the alternative milks um i think <laughs> you know for the non-vegan folks out there we're, we're all sort of looking like what does that even mean <laughs> But some of it has turned out really well. So in, in your opinion, what has been some of the most surprising products, meaning I did not expect that to taste so good? I would say probably uh, the new chicken products are coming out, right? So we have a, a new chicken tender that we've been using for the last year. And we had one that we would make, we would like, you know, cut up almost in little sticks to, uh, to you know, to be like a so-so so-called chicken wing type of a substitute, a lot of work. Uh, and we worked with another manufacturer that, that was able to help us uh, work together and come up with an item that, that is absolutely delicious. I would say the, the innovation that we've seen in the chicken substitutes, I literally had guests come across the counter and say, 
this is supposed to be a vegan restaurant. You are serving me real chicken, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, that's like the best compliment you could ever give me. Uh, but it, it is, honestly, it's so hard to tell. I just did a, a, with the Chicago Public Schools, they have a culinary program. And so Emily and I went out and uh, last week and we talked a little bit about plant-based dining. You could see, you know, these uh, inner city kids were like, okay, here they are, you know, uh, going to tell us about plant-based dining. And we talked about celebrities who are, you know, are vegan and, and things like that, whether it's Billie Eilish or Lizzo or, you know, Beyonce and Jay-Z. Well, that started to get their attention, you know, as far as that. Uh, but then we cooked the food together and they tried it. And uh, the one, one was like, oh my God, it's a 10 out of 10. Can I have another one, you know? And uh, one guy goes, I can go vegan. I go, well, okay, that's probably a stretch to get started. But I love the fact that they thought the food was fantastic and could absolutely not identify the fact that it wasn't, uh, you know, from an animal. And uh, that's the goal. Yeah, it's truly, I can't believe it's not butter, but like... <laughs> <laughs> fully vegan. So, um, the, the, the vegetarian and vegan audience, I think that's another big one that is a lot of brands who are, uh, at varying degrees of believability and all that adopting some vegan products onto their menu. Um, the audience size is about 15% of the population, but flexitarian is much larger. So how is it marketing and or communicating with flexitarian different than purists in the vegan vegetarian world? Yeah, you know, and we, we, we're having that conversation and we're actually kind of doing a couple of side-by-side -side tests right now to say, okay, let's put this uh, ad out to vegans and let's put this ad out to flexitarians and see which one we're going to get the most return. So, uh, so far, I will tell you the biggest return is still your vegan audience, right? Because you, you already know that they're going to support you. So you put something out there that's new or an LTO uh, you know, and, and they, they do come in. So it's much more challenging to find that flexitarian audience. Do we, do we go from them more from a, I think from a lifestyle perspective is where we're starting to see, uh, you know, a better response. So you really can't go at them from vegan. You, you know, and, and look, there's a big difference between, I think Technomic had done a survey about three or four years ago and said, how many of you would try vegan food? I mean, it was less than 10%. How many of you would try plant-based food? It was like 57%. Basically the same thing, but it's all marketing, right? I kind of look at it this way. Vegan is such a lifestyle. You have made a choice in your entire, you know, your entire being that, uh, animal products, you know, I'm not going to ever wear leather, right? I, 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 I am going to be a hundred percent, uh, responsible and compassionate around animals. I have such mad respect for people who are vegan because it's very, very challenging. I'm vegetarian. I, uh, you know, I still eat some dairy and cheese. I shouldn't say that, but I do. And I'm honest about it. Uh, but, uh, you know, every day I can get a little bit closer but uh, yeah, that's really um, that's really it. It's it's in the, to build a restaurant brand, you have to be able to reach the flexitarian. We don't look at ourselves as being judgmental, right? And sometimes the the, the hardcore activist vegan uh, can be very judgmental, uh, where we're like, okay, if we can get you to try one meal and you love it, the chances are you're going to come back for a second. So we'll try to build you towards. Uh, you know, uh, being, uh, what, you know, well, I would say three reasons people typically come in. Number one catalyst is health. They've just mm -hmm. been to the doctor, cardiologist, right? They say, you probably want to think about 
how you're eating, right? Maybe uh, reduce that red meat a little bit. Well, a plant-based diet has no cholesterol, right? So high in fiber, nutrient dense. Uh, doesn't mean it's always healthy, but it has a lot of good attributes for someone looking for health. Uh, secondly, it's going to be around the planet. And this is where we're starting to track when you talk to flexitarian audience, right? The younger, the younger generation is much more conscious about being better stewards of the planet than people my age, right? They talk about that at an early age. And then obviously we just talked about compassion for animals. So uh, any of those three drivers can ultimately reach the flexitarian audience to think about trying, you know, adding plant-based. Okay, maybe to Monday is steak night, maybe, you know, Tuesday is spaghetti night, but maybe Wednesday now becomes plant-based, right? Mm -hmm. So we think about it as adding something cool and tasty to your diet, not taking away. I love that. You know, and, and when we start to talk about uh, the, the footprint on the earth and the sustainability of how we eat, um, specifically in uh, westernized cultures, sure. um, I am definitely more for vegan than the other one, which is the bug people. I <laughs> every, year. every year is the year of the bugs. And I'm like, I'm sorry, no, thank man. you. You know, and then when I really start to rationalize it, I'm like, well, you know, lobsters and crabs really are pretty much the cockroaches of the ocean. So what's the real difference? Um, And I I just can't get to it yet. And I don't don't think a lot of us can, but veganism and I think at least vegetarianism uh, being maybe the first step, I I think is a lot um, easier to stomach, even if it's a visual issue that we have to overcome. Um, In your opinion, what is next for the plant-based restaurant industry? What trends are you keeping your eye on? Um, You know, and and are there special things that you're allowed to talk about that you may be testing on your menu? Yeah, we can can certainly talk about it. I mean, right now we just introduced what we call it glazed and confused. So it's our it's a chicken on a on a donut, uh, <laughs> but it is just indulgent, and we are an indulgent brand. Uh, again, when I first got to you know Native Foods, obviously looking at ingredients and keep thinking, oh gosh, we should have more salads on our menu. And my team kept saying, you know, Karen, we can put them on there, but they won't sell. And uh, our guests who come in say, you know, when I go to the, uh, I'll just use the word meat restaurants, I have to get my salads. When I come to your restaurant, I'm going to indulge. Mm. Restaurants sell what people buy right? That's, that's really the way it works. We have some very healthy um, menu items, but we have some very indulgent menu items. So those are always kind of fun. I think what we're seeing now coming out a lot is a lot of seafood. Mm-hmm. Um, seafood, breakfast are probably two big things that we get the most requests for right now uh, in, in, the, in the vegan space. But our, our next promotion, and they're doing the, the photo shoot today, is uh, you know, kicking off the beginning, there's just going to be local favorites. People are always looking to say is, you know, how do I get my hot dog or my Italian beef or, you know, those type of items in a vegan version and a plant-based version. And I will tell you, if you look at Chef Chris's Italian beef next to, uh, you know, local Portillo's, you cannot tell the difference. The guy is amazing. So it. the challenge is, is we've got to replicate that in every one of our restaurants, right? That consistency is super super important but that's just the fun with the innovation and in, uh, in plant-based right now yeah i love that i'm excited so uh any specific seafoods is it, is it alternative crab is it a uh, alternative fish just in general yeah we did a we did a crab cake sandwich but again we, we ran into supply chain issues right i mean that uh, one was really a hard one to to keep in stock uh, a lot of places are bringing us different types of uh, shrimp that 
even visually, you cannot tell the difference. We're definitely seeing that, uh, you know, whether it's some type of a, a sushi, uh, right, that, uh, that, that looks attractive. So um, that might be one of the things that you see show up on our menu uh, in the near future. So just lots of fun and, uh, you know, really approachable things that you can find in an everyday restaurant. But now we're going to give you a great tasting plant-based version. I love it. So I, I want to switch gears a little bit because I did want to make sure, sure that we had an opportunity to talk about this before we uh, wrap a bow on this uh, interview. But um, you're a founding member of the GLEAM Network, and it's something that struck me. So that GLEAM stands for Global Leadership Enhancement and Mentorship. And uh, I, I think there's nothing more important in this industry, especially right now, than mentorship, where people can see how long and um, lucrative of a career path exists in the restaurant world. So when I saw this, it really like sparked my heart. Um, can you tell us more about Gleam and its mission and maybe how people might want to get involved? Yeah, thanks for asking. And yes, it's uh, you can find us on uh, right on the internet, gleamnetwork.net. So it's kind of easy to, to remember that. And uh, and yes, it's a little bit of a mouthful, but I'll tell you what, I, you know, I often talk about my career and uh, talking about following the growth, but I heard Greg Flynn once say, I have my learning years and my earning years. And I say, I have my learning years, my earning years, and now I'm in my give back years. And uh, I, I will say that, you know, Gleam, I always want to feel like we want to leave this industry better than when we started uh, the industry. As, as we know, there's about 500,000 people that have not come back to work yet in our industry. And uh, we, we've got to figure out how to make ourselves a little more attractive. When the pandemic hit, uh, I was talking with Sanjeev Brosden and Low Middlebron, and there's a whole network of restaurant leaders that you know, you've had a lot of them on your podcast, that when the pandemic hit, everybody started working well together. And I think we always did, not from a com competitive standpoint, but in a helpful nature. That's the, we, are, we are in one of the most generous uh, industries, right? That that you could ever possibly imagine. But when when uh, as we know at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of people got laid off, mm -hmm. and people were calling a lot of us saying, "I need help. You know what what can I do? Uh, you know, I it, it, everybody was kind of turned upside down, and so we started talking about is how can we start pairing mentors and mentees, and we came together with this idea of Gleam. And as we all thought about our own personal journeys, it was like, okay, where did you have a mentor that impacted your life and your career trajectory? What if it came sooner, right? What if I had gotten that feedback sooner? So we put together with Gleam is a simple pairing of a mentor with a mentee. And that mentee is going to work on one big thing. One big thing that's maybe, uh, I want to learn financial skills. My uh, my delivery to my team, my communication is a little rough. It might be anything, you know, that they want to work on. And we will pair them with a mentor who's really good at that. We ask for a six-month commitment from both with at least one call, a one-hour call once a month. It has been life-changing. I, I will tell you, it is some of the best work that I've done uh, since I've been in the industry. And uh, we had a call last night, and you could just be in tears hearing some of the stories of, of uh, you know, one that always sticks out to me as a woman came on to work with one big thing and she was sitting there talking to all of us, uh, kind of, we usually bring two or three mentees on and kind of give an update of how the process went. And she said, three months ago, you could not have gotten me to even turn my camera on. I know I came to work on my one big thing, but what I got was confidence. I love that. Wow. You know, and you just like, 
oh my god you know if you make a difference for that one person it just chokes me up you know yeah it feels great so any of the listeners they want to get involved in gleam we we're uh we're actually uh sourcing right now for our next cohort that'll launch mid-january so you can sign up to be a mentor or a mentee and it's real easy to sign up just go to again gleamnetwork.net and uh and sign up and join us in january I love that. Well, yeah, we'll make sure the links are on there. And oh, we'll thank sure you. That that's a big part of this. It, it definitely struck me as well. I think we need more of that. Um, this industry, you know, you, you graze the surface. It, it's, it is, if you want to come at it from a money standpoint, it is the absolute backbone of the entire nation's economy, period. End of story. It is huge. Um, I defend this uh, industry to, to the, like, as much as I possibly can, <laughs> um, tooth and nail, scratching, fighting, biting to make sure that we have restaurants that not only can exist, but can thrive and grow because in that there are so many ancillary, um, companies, including vigor, you know, that, that thrive as a result and together we win. Um, so there's just a few more questions. Uh, okay. one is usually the final question, but I do have a final, final question. Okay. So the final <laughs> question is if you had one final meal, what would you eat where and why? Oh gosh. Uh, gosh, you know, I just love food. I think one of the most memorable meals I, I memorable meals that I had that I would go back for, um, in that one little uh, top part of Italy, you know, kind of at the, at the, where the boot, the cup of the boot is, that Cinque Terre area where you kind of get to go and you hike the five cities. And I know some people will take that hike and try to say, okay, how fast can I get through that big hike and do it in an hour or so? I did it in seven hours and ate and drank along the way. Along the way, I found this pesto lasagna. Oh my God. It was so incredible. I would eat that almost every day. <laughs> so yes, if you get to Cinque Terre and you get to Italy, they are so well known for pesto up in that area. It's incredible. Gosh, yeah, my mouth is watering thinking about it. My wife, Joseph, never... can I ask you the same question? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you know, so for those who who haven't heard it already, mine is uh, definitely a Thanksgiving dinner. So. Mm. Uh, not to go against the topic of this uh, interview, but it would be a turkey um, with uh, mashed potatoes and gravy. And um, my mother makes, and now I make, a stuffing that is just, uh, it is next level. Nothing touches it. And it, it uses four different kinds of bread. Wow. Uh, so a sourdough, a white bread, a wheat bread, and a pumpernickel rye. Oh. It's just... Uh, the, it's just a flavor experience. I love it so much. Um, I so, love hearing that. That's great. Yeah, all day long. And and I would have it at the table with as much family and friends as I could possibly fit in that space. Um, so, yeah, I know that for a fact. I love it. So the final, final question. This is this is your mic drop moment. So <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have no idea where this is going. Okay. It, it, this is, this is, uh, I am setting you up for the slammest of slam dunks. Um, what do you say to people who insist that a plant-based burger can never, ever, ever, ever be as good as an animal-based burger? 
Oh, wow. Well, I'd say you probably haven't tried the right one. Uh, you know, and so just real quick on burgers, and I don't believe that the best burger has been created yet from a plant-based standpoint. Ours is kind of a mushroom, uh, by the wheat gluten, uh, is, is the basis of our, ours. And I think as I'm watching innovation, someone's going to make one better than we do. I get that. But a burger to me is not about the burger. It's about a nice caramelized bun, great condiments. If the searing of that burger patty is really great, it'll be to the point where people will not be able to tell the difference. So yeah, just get out there and try some. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I love, I love that question. That was fun. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Karen, thanks for taking the time out today. I know your time is precious. I love what you're doing with Gleam and I love what you're doing with Native Foods. And I can't wait to see this growth continue on both parts. Um, how can people connect with you? Uh, you can reach me at, uh, you know, any of the, the, uh, the social media platforms, karen.stutz at uh, nativefoods.com or Karen Stutz on Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, pretty easy to find. I know it's a weird spelling, Karen with the C, C-A-R-I-N. But, uh, uh, yeah, happy to hear from anyone. And, uh, Ken, thank you for having me. And uh, this is a lot of fun. And love what you're doing for our industry. Thanks, Joseph. Absolutely. Thanks, Karen. Talk real soon. Okay. If you love what we served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through MusicBed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC, all rights reserved.